Formula One, I've got to tell you something. I hope I don't come on too strong, but I can no longer hold in my feelings. Please, please, Formula One, I just gotta say. Formula One, don't leave me, baby. Come back, please. Formula One, please. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 97 of the F1 Show. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau, and this is coverage of the Belgian Grand Prix from the Spa-Francorchamps circuit. It is, and you said that elegantly. Thank you. I worked really hard on that. Um... We had, I mean, as ever in Spa, I mean, this is, this is one of the classic races. I one think of my favorites, everyone, absolutely. Everyone can pretty much agree. Uh, what a difference a good racetrack makes and a cool setting and a historic setting and with changeable weather to cool. keep things interesting throughout the weekend. Cool, both literally and figuratively. Oh, I see what you did there. Uh, yeah. So it was, you know, all Friday, um, a lot of people were sort of lamenting the lack of uh, dry running, you know, to get useful information about the cars. There was like, Well, oh, there co- wasn't any. Yeah. So, I mean, there was a couple of parts of the session where it was like kind of drying out a little bit. But, you know, so there was a big question. It was a long break. Um, everyone was, you know, eager to get back in the car and kind of see what the state of things were. There was this big question is, uh, is this the, the end of the Red Bull dominance? And is Vettel going to come back and, you know, be all different? And just kind of what, how? Oh, this where, was, where, where this was stand, the really? second beginning of the championship and all bets are going to be off. And McLaren was going to come back charging and Ferrari was going to come back charging. And, you know, Red Bull was going to. Everyone's Come back charging, you know, and the, yeah. yeah, and it's like, I, yeah, I read something last week, and McLaren's like, McLaren is fresh from break. It's like, oh my God, unlike everybody else, McLaren's going to be fresh from the break. We better watch out for McLaren. Well, Red Bull did uh, have a busy time. They actually came over to our neck of the woods, uh, more or less, and uh, did some pretty interesting stuff in Texas. I think uh, people have probably seen me posted some videos of this on the Facebook page, but yes. um, they did both a demo um, with David Coulthard driving on Circuit of the Americas, which, as I in said way, sort of. last week, um, <laughs> is not paved yet. So that was pretty interesting, doing some right. you know some dirt kind of running and, uh, and, and all of what that took. And it was pretty funny. I mean, I guess I didn't really miss them by that much. It would have been pretty crazy if I was down there and uh, was like, hey, look, there is an F1 car going around the track. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and he was also in downtown Austin doing some demos, which was a little bit more exciting in some ways. Because the F1 car could go faster in 25 miles an hour. Yeah, that was that was definitely cool. And then they did uh, they took the car out to California as well and had uh, Tom Cruise show up and do some helicopter stunts and then also get a couple laps in the car. And uh, so a whole bunch of cool promotion and media stuff. But what I like about it is that it's just you know getting the uh, all the all the videos and stuff they posted online were just promoting F1 in the U.S. Like look at this really cool thing. It's coming to the U.S. Like, everybody that isn't aware of this, check out how cool this is. Um, here's, you know... Which was going great until they put Tom Cruise in the car and everyone lost interest. Because Tom Cruise is hated these days. I don't know about that. You don't, you don't think so? I mean, he's definitely like a crackpot, but he wasn't, he, it wasn't, you know, he didn't get out of the car and talk about how Scientology made him, you know, made this the car This is true, great. or that, you know, how, uh, uh, what was it, uh, uh, happiness pills... 
<laughs> which I believe is a technical term. Um, the, the, the depression medication is, you know, wrong to take, right. like, morally. And how... Um, so we didn't get the crazy Tom Cruise. We kind of got the, the Top Gun Tom Cruise, or points, the uh, Days of Thunder Tom Cruise. Right, That's the sure. one. So Tom Cruise, from what I've understood by speaking with my wife, is who is more up-to-date on these social things, mm-hmm. Tom Cruise has lost a lot of his cachet. Right on. They would, I, have been, they would have been better off putting, you know, I don't know, Ben Stiller in the car, perhaps. Because there's a guy with a lot of cachet <laughs> these days. Wow, so we're really up on pop culture. So you guys let us know who would have been the best celebrity put in the car to really get, the, get some, some excitement behind. I would say Scarlett Johansson. I would just go right there and say I would, be, I would watch that. Thank you, Mr. Clarkson. No, I don't, I don't think uh, – <laughs> I don't know who I would put, but I, I, don't, I don't know if I'd put Tom Cruise. But I will say – the one thing I will say about Tom Cruise is he is properly into cars – much more so motorcycles, but into exciting things. And he's actually, uh, considering that he's an actor, he's actually quite willing and quite capable of doing things such as going fast in a car. So, Yeah, so anyways, cool promotion. And uh, so Red Bull may be slightly less rested than the other guys. It wasn't Vettel and, uh, and Weber out doing these things, but uh, you know the team's traveling all around doing cool stuff. But I am behind the fact that they're getting some buzz going about F1 in the U.S. And I think that's, that's something they should be doing, and that's very cool. And absolutely, and, I, and it, was, it was neat what they did. It was a clever thing, and they put some videos out, and then, like you said, we put those videos on Facebook for you to get a look at. And also, for those that didn't get to listen to our last show, which we did mid-summer break, mm-hmm. um, Jim himself went to the Austin track to check it out. Yeah, and it was pretty cool, actually, seeing a lot of the shots, because there was part of the, the coverage where they where DC driving around on the track and then kind of around the track on some of the roads and stuff they cut. And I recognized, like, oh, that's the gas station. And then this is where I was, like, you know, right there standing on this thing. So, yeah, it was kind of cool to already have a little bit of a sense for, you know, what's, what's around that track. And uh, it's really a lot of random nothing farm roads. Um, but uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be nuts once F1, you know, comes into town and, uh, and takes, o- takes it all over. Speaking which, uh, we went four weeks of quiet, four weeks of just twiddling our thumbs, trying to think of things to do and see and entertain ourselves with. Finally, cars were back in action and at what a beautiful, at a beautiful place, Spa. So Friday practice happened. That was sweet. And then, boom, qualifying. Yeah, and the very, very beginning of qualifying was uh, with, of course, the uh, much-celebrated 20th anniversary of Michael Schumacher's Formula 1 debut. He cr- drives out in about the first you know, third of the way around a lap. His wheel comes off, and he crashes over. So it was like, all right, you know, there's usually not a whole lot of exciting stuff that happens in Q1, and already the qualifying session was like, all right, this is going to be crazy because yeah. it was wet but kind of already starting to dry out. And uh, you know, with wet qualifying – um, especially when the race goes on to be to be dry, and of course, when you're watching qualifying, you have no idea what it's going to end up doing. But you know, wet qualifying can really just mix things up in some interesting ways. And you have these guys that have to start from the back and work. Nico Hulkenberg pole it type things, right? But, you know, guys, good, really fast guys that are going to start from the back and work their way up through the field. Some guys in mid pack teams that can maybe really get a, a really strong lap and actually you know be up there sort of equalized with uh, with the top guys and see how they hang on to it. So that's always that's always kind of fun. And so it was. Uh, a shame for Schumacher in a, you know just the very very beginning you know the first part of the first lap in in the first qualifying session for his wheel to fall off and uh, and then ended up you know crashing and end, ending his day so he knew that if if they could put the car back together which of course they could um, he would have to start dead last but it was it was interesting how robotic his response was was like well guys something unexpected has happened and I'm out yeah. Like, well, I mean, okay, not like oh what the heck was that and ah uh, you know no right. like emotion behind and, it. it was and just much, funny. well but. 
also much better than having tons of emotion, you know, saying, you guys effed me in the car or something like that, only to realize that, you know, it was something else. So, uh, and the very first shot I saw, it looked like he did something old and screwy and uh, caused himself to wreck right at the beginning. But no, as Jim said right at the top, wheel came off. He had no control over the car. I mean, you thought he, what, saw the early bird special at the buffet and was like, oh, my God, yeah, I got beeline right that. to that thing. Oh, exactly, no, I exactly. I think that's quite what went But, down. so, no, it, it was clear that it certainly was not whatever happened exactly if the wheel nut was just never tightened properly or if it somehow came loose or something got jerked or whatever. It certainly was not Schumacher's fault, and it was definitely unfortunate and ironic that uh, it happened. But clearly... That was also not the end of the excitement at qualifying. Yeah, I mean, so we had um, then it, it did start to rain more, uh, and then we had some you know pretty bad day for Force India all the way around, um, with Paul DeResta ending up being out in Q one, um, and it just sort of I think the timing of everything just didn't quite work out for him. Um, he had a couple little off and ons, but a lot of people had off and ons, you know, with the, the changeable track conditions, but. Uh, then in Q2, we saw a, a big loss for um, Adrian Sutil on the exit of Rouge. Just got too much paint, ended up spinning the car around, and it wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't injured or anything like that, but it was enough to really, you know, take out the car. Um, so it was red flagged with just six minutes, six and some minutes left to go. Um, and that's a long lap at Spa. So that meant yes. everyone has to come back into the pits, and then once they green flag the session again, just so they could clear the debris and all that, once they green flag the session again, that it was just not very much time for everyone to get out, do an out lap, um, try to space themselves out so there's not a whole lot of traffic, get up to speed, feel out the car, feel out how wet or dry the track is at that point, and then put in a strong lap. So those times were changing just, I mean, everyone across the line, there was new fast laps, and yeah, there was you know, provisional pole was just it was such a moving target. It was, uh, it was pretty chaotic, and I remember paying attention to um, Jensen Button's time, and he was third with about 30 seconds to go in the, uh, in, in the, in the qualifying session in Q2. Um, but the track was getting drier. Everyone was still on intermediate tires, uh, but it was everyone that came across the line for a couple times there was, was setting a new provisional pole time, and it was, it was shuffling through. And then you know, Bruno Senna came in and did a good, good job, and Sergio Perez. I mean, these, all these mid-pack guys actually do, doing really strong. And it ended up that Button came what thirteenth or something. He got bumped, yeah. you know, got got bumped, and, and apparently he was on the radio, uh, wanting to you know wanting to stay out. And the team said, "Oh no, come on in. Your lap time is fine. That's all you need. You'll move on to the next session." I don't know if there was a Let's concern about tires, saving yeah. tires, but yeah. And uh, he said, "Are you sure? You know, I want to do lap." Um, and uh, and yeah, and there was a, apparently some uh, some concession he made to Hamilton to get get out of his way because Hamilton was on a flyer at that point. Although I'm not sure that had a whole lot to do with the call. Um, so yeah, it ended up where uh, mostly it was the people you would expect uh, losing out, except Jensen Button. Um, Absolutely. It was a big disappointment for him to, to go out, especially because Hamilton and, went on to do quite well. And up to that point, Jensen Button was also doing quite well. He was putting in really strong times in Q1 as well. So definitely disappointing. But even that wasn't the peak of the excitement uh, in Q2 even, which was Lewis Hamilton uh, working very hard to put in a flyer, just as you said, and right at the end, coming upon traffic of, I believe, Felipe Massa and both Williams cars. Yeah. So, like we said, with all the, the as limited a time as it was possible, it ended up where you know everyone did their best to try to space out and get traffic. But of course, some cars are just faster than others. And uh, yeah, Lewis Hamilton came upon a whole gaggle of cars. I mean, there was a bunch of them, and they're you know each one of them. So what 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 makes a gaggle? Is that three? I think Is it's, gaggle I equal think it's, three. I think it's like three and like like. Three and then another guy who's kind of close but not quite in the group. Ah, three and a kind of guy. I think the sort of a three and a half kind of a situation. I will look that up in the meantime in the Oxford Dictionary. You better do that. Uh, and so Lewis is 
you know, of course, wanting to not be, uh, he was probably in, in uh, you know, in, in, in relegation zone at that point and uh, wanted to move up and, uh, you know, didn't want to have to slow his roll. But, of course, everyone in that little pack of cars is, is trying to defend their own line and do as, go as fast as they can and, and whatnot. So it ended up being, uh, yeah, it came up beside Pastor Maldonado and Lewis, I guess, depending on how you want to say it, muscled his way through or did what he had to to finish his hot lap and not lose too much time. Um, uh, yeah, and that I mean, ended up. He ended up bumping a couple of times with Pastor Maldonado, not enough to uh, really cause bits to fly off the car, but definitely there was a little bit of contact there. Yeah, a little bump and grind, you might say. Yeah, and uh, which I guess is the theme of this podcast. For you. <laughs> uh, uh, so to interrupt you with a much more important statement, a gaggle is A, a flock of geese, or B, an informal and disorderly or noisy group of people. Yeah, which I think they were pretty noisy. Which is exactly what and the three just, guys just and one yep. guy a little bit off to the side. Absolutely, I think, is pretty much uh, so. Pretty much what we said was Lewis Hamilton's move aggressive. Yes, was it totally out of bounds? No, I in a way Maldonado did kind of have the door open, and uh, you know it is kind of this general sense of if one guy is faster than the other, you should let him go. But if two people are doing a flyer, which I think Maldonado also was, just by the nature of post red flag just like you said so it's kind of this dicey thing so but at the end of the day if you're lewis hamilton and you're trying to set a time and the track is drying as quickly as it is you definitely are motivated to do whatever you can to get the best time in that circumstance so i i don't think you can really blame hamilton much right um what happened, and that was, of course, after the checkered flag had flown, so it was, this was everyone's last chance to, to get a time in. And what happened after that was what the, the, the big controversy is, um, because after that flag, they're, they're both on cool-down laps. Hamilton, you know, slows right up, because whatever. Um, and then Pastor Maldonado catches up to him, and at first it looks like Hamilton does a little, uh, just kind of skirts his car a little bit to the right uh, over in, in the direction, like not, not enough to actually crash into him or anything, but to sort of say, hey, dude, come on, like just a little hip check kind of a deal. Um, and then... Um, and then, you know, a couple hundred yards down the road, Pastor Maldonado sort of kind of either drives sort of across just into Hamilton's path, I guess, I think is right. the most accurate way to say it. Goes that. straighter than he probably should have because the road is curving to the left just slightly, perhaps, is a good way to say it. It doesn't look like Maldonado turned left, but it looks like the road goes to the right just slightly, and Maldonado kept a little straighter than he yeah, might would have otherwise. But the result was that Maldonado's car hit along the side pod and then into the front wing of the McLaren, um, which meant he needed uh, you know a bunch of new parts. And Hamilton, his his lab did still work. I think it was actually still good enough for provisional pole, if, if I recall. Um, it was you know definitely well to, enough to get him uh, to get him onto Q3. Maldonado's was not, so Hamilton had to worry about rebuilding the car in the five minutes they had until Q3 right, started. Right. Uh, and and McLaren getting that car out um, and. So if Maldonado did that to me, if I was Maldonado and Hamilton did that move to me, I certainly wouldn't be happy, but I wouldn't have done that. And maybe it was just two sets of of coincidental and unfortunate circumstances, Um, but it it certainly becomes hard to believe. Yeah, so immediately on the radio, um the McLaren guys saw that and they read it to Hamilton said what's going on? He said, "Oh, you know, is there damage to the car?" And he says, "That was deliberate. He came across on me." Um and we didn't hear from Pastor then uh in a in a post-race interview, um you know, Maldonado said or post-qualifying interview even, uh said, "Oh, that wasn't intentional. Just it was unfortunate that that happened." But I mean, that's that's what you would say, of course. I don't think you would really just own up to it. Of course. Um but yeah, I mean, everyone, all the commentators at that point 
uh, and and even just you know everyone up uh, up and down the pit lane sort of seemed to be like stunned that come on guys this is the top level of of racing we are all the best drivers in the world this is such a childish and immature and dangerous thing to do like, it was a bit cockfightish yeah this is not the way this should happen now you could say that lewis could have you know I don't know that he would sort of seen this coming, but, you know, he could have maybe, you know, as soon as he saw that Palazzo was there, rather than potentially provoking him a little bit by driving this kind of a little, hey, you know, dude, I, you know, what was that kind of a little little movement of his car or whatever? I don't know if there was any hand gestures or whatever. He could have just backed off and said, oh, I'm just going to be totally out of this and whatever. Um, but that would have been, had to have been proactive on his part. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it really, so, so, at first, people were thinking, oh, this is going to be disqualification for, for Maldonado. I mean, this is the kind of thing you want to send the message to younger drivers that are coming up through different series and just, you know, fans and everything that this is not how people behave and this is not how our professional drivers will conduct themselves is to crash right. into each other when right. they're mad. Right. Um, and that turned out not to be the case. So it was uh, that uh, Hamilton got a reprimand, just a don't do that again. You're in trouble, but not actually in trouble. But and here's what I don't get. Here's and, what and, I don't uh, understand, because Pastor, Pastor Maldonado got more than a reprimand. He got a five-place grid penalty, yes. right? Which is worse than what Hamilton got, and it suggested that more, more than Hamilton, he was at fault. But A, does it send that message? No, not really. And B, if you're going to give Maldonado the five-grid penalty, why are you going to reprimand Hamilton? And why are you going to make a point of that in the press release? Because if it's Maldonado's five-grid penalty, then it's Maldonado's fault. And if you're going to reprimand Hamilton, then you should reprimand both of them and say, you guys were both stupid. Don't do that. I, that's kind of – I kind of seem like it kind of muddies the waters even further. Yeah. It's like saying you were both being dumb, but Pastor was being more dumb. But not right. even that dumb because five-grid spots is like something – you hold somebody up in traffic sometimes. And that's, that's from 16th to 21st. Yeah, that that's that was his penalty. That it was, you know what I mean. So, so that yeah, that changes it from being don't ever do this again. You're disqualified or even fined or whatever. To it's a calculation you make of well, I really want, I'm really pissed at this guy, and I want to, I want to show him that, and I want to f him up a little bit, um, and maybe I'll take five good spots for it. But you know, maybe that's worth it. You know, it's almost a, it, it's not a, a big enough uh, penalty to be a deterrent. Uh, so you know, I, yeah, I, it's. You hate to see that kind of stuff uh, just because, yeah, it does make, you know, the drivers and kind of the whole system look bad when it's, you know, when these guys are acting immaturely. And I, I think of, I agree with you. I think it was it was pretty much uh, Pastor coming, you know, that, that it was it was his move to make. It was his decision that something was going to go down like that. Like why? I mean, even ahead of all of that, why did Pastor race up to be alongside Hamilton in the first place? Yeah. Why did that even happen? You know what I mean? Eh, I don't know. So I, yeah, I, I have to say Hamilton just kind of got hosed here. Yeah, Although I will say the gentlemanly thing to have done at would for Hamilton would be to say, to immediately, like, again, being proactive, the gentlemanly thing, gentlemanly thing to do would have been say, please radio Williams driver and apologize on my behalf to Pastor. I really hope I didn't screw up his lap or something. Yeah. Because it was a touch on the aggressive side. Maldonado did kind of open the door, but it wasn't a race. It was qualifying. So Lewis wasn't necessarily giving Maldonado a full amount of respect. Does that, does that equal what Maldonado did or even, you know, wasn't intending to do in the first place but was tempted to do? Whatever you yeah. want to say. Uh, 
So under ideal circumstances, but at the end of the day, if I accidentally, you know, give you a bump on the head and then you shoot me in the face, most likely people are going to be more upset at you for shooting me in the face. Right. Right? Right. So. So, yeah, maybe the reprimand had more to do with Hamilton's original aggressive move. But what is he going to do? I mean, it's it's the last chance, which is just kind of, it's not anyone's fault. I mean, it's Satil's fault, maybe, but whatever, you know, it's it's not anyone's fault that Hamilton is in that situation. So it's not like they can really say, we'll just back off and try again next lap. I mean, that was it. And of course, there's so much riding on it for, for both these guys. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's an unfortunate situation. And I think a lot of people think that, uh, a lot of people agree that Pastor was not uh, penalized enough and also there he has a history of uh, of this is not the first time he's been called in front of the stewards for some you know aggressive like unnecessarily aggressive moves like after a session is over to hip check someone like to, just, there's no reason there should be any kind of damage or he's any a kind bully. of danger he's, saying he's a bully he's yeah. a qualified well, bully not yeah potentially yeah so that's it's you know he's got he's got to figure that out that, that that he can't keep doing that i think is is what needs to happen and uh uh, and five grid spots is like, yeah, that's unfortunate. I'm sure his team's not happy with him, but, um, you know, it's, it's maybe something a little bit more has to, uh, has to happen to, uh, to really get him out of that. But anyway, um, that was, that was a big controversy and, uh, ended up with, like you say, uh, five, uh, five grid spots. He had to move back, um, to, and which, you know, he basically put him in the, in the, the midst of, uh, what ended up being a pretty crazy, uh, lap one, I would say once, uh, once the race got started. Absolutely. So to close out Q3, that was also exciting. By that point, people weren't sure what was going to happen with the weather. It looked like it could rain again, so a lot of people jumped out early and ended up just getting drier and drier. And uh, the very last moment, Lewis, with his you know, wounded car, uh, put in a stunner of a lap to put in a 48-7 and provisional pole, but Lou, uh, Sebastian Vettel was just behind him. And managed to get another half second out of the uh, surface and uh, got on pole with a 48-3. And so we ended up with Sebastian Vettel on pole, Hamilton outside pole, Mark Webber in third, Felipe Massa in fourth. He listened to our previous show. Absolutely. And knew that he had to step up his qualifying game. Well ahead of Alonso, who was all the way down in eighth. Rosberg fifth. Very solid uh, performance in him. Jaime Algasuari in sixth in the Toro Rosso. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruno Senna in seventh, which was a very good showing for him. First time in a race car in uh, several months, or first time in a Grand Prix in several months. Yeah. And uh, very strong performance in him. Alonso in eighth, like we mentioned. Uh, the Thief in ninth. And uh, Vitaly Petrov rounding out the top ten. So it was a very interesting, very fascinating uh, qualifying session all around, filled with drama and all kinds yeah, of things. Well, and this is how it used to be too. Was it almost always was the the last guy to come across the line would be the fastest. So it was a matter of how do you time your lap and get just the last little bit because the tr- you know the surfaces, especially with the older tires, used to just yeah, rubber and in. the way the Bridgestones rubbered in absolutely quite a bit more. Yeah, and uh, and and so there used to, and even especially when we had this whole the whole you know fuel burn longer Q three kind of a thing where they'd go out and and you know get all the fuel down and then it would then it would be sort of the second round of q3 where everybody come back out and put on the tires and and, and really go for it um and uh yeah so i think you know some of those results up there were um you know properly you know fast drivers making their way around but part of it i mean they were helped by the fact that you know schumacher wasn't in the run for the top 10 button wasn't in the run for the top 10 and then just kind of the timing of how they how they came out and how the uh how the surface came to because i mean senna i think was actually one of the very last guys to come across the line and uh you know did, did a great job to you know to get the car up as high as he did and ahead of petrov it should be said um you know who's the more established teammate at uh at lotus renault 
Yes, absolutely. But as you said, that was qualifying, and we jump into the race. First of all, what a race. I mean, just, it was so nice to be at one of the best tracks in the world, uh, dry and stayed dry, um, but just exciting from start to finish. Yeah, so the start, uh, I mean, it was, uh, in a way, uh, all the drivers sort of did what we expected, right? Weber bogged on the start and oh my lost God. some positions. That was, <laughs> I mean, it was so bad. It was exactly as you'd kind of predict. Schumacher had an amazing start. Uh, Rosberg also, though, from fourth, he was right behind. From fifth. From fifth, yeah, right behind uh, Weber on track. And so the combination of Weber's poor start and, and Rosberg's brilliant start, man, he rocketed around and... and Nico Rosberg was leading the race after, like, turn two. It was, it was incredible. And what was even more interesting than that was his whole car was on fire, it seemed like. There was just, like, steam and smoke billowing from the whole thing. Turned out his brakes were smoking a little bit, and it was actually okay. Um, didn't look okay, but uh, I, I thought his engine was going to blow up, and it was just really strong right before it popped, basically. And uh, that was amazing. And then Bruno Senna, he'd worked so hard to qualify seventh. He outbraked himself right at the very beginning of the race and yeah. ended up mixing, mixing up a whole bunch of problems at the mid-pack. Yeah, and he said it was, it was his lack of experience driving a car full of fuel, basically, because it's been so long since he's been in a Grand Prix car. Okay. And, uh, and you know, it's like on full fuel. He was like, all right, I'm going to go. Oh, I got this. And then, you know, just wait. This car's way heavier than right, I remember. Right, and right. Uh, just overcooked it. So, yeah, like you say, trying to be a hero. And, uh, and it, it kind of, you know, went poorly for him there. Yeah, I mean, the difference in a Formula 1 car between an empty tank and a full tank, it's like 20% of the weight of the car. It's just amazing how big of a difference a full to a light car would make. So that is, of all, I mean, it's ultimately an excuse, but that is a reasonably good one. Yeah, so Algeshwari was knocked out by that, and he ended up, you know, his suspension got broken. He made it most of the way around the lap, but then had to retire. Um, Senna had to go into the pits and he ended up, he came out second from last, but in all this Schumacher made up like 10 positions in the opening lap. It was incredible. Just dicing his way around the chaos and around the slower cars. And, uh, it was, he, he and Schumacher started on the harder compound too. He wasn't on the soft tire. He was yep. on the medium tire and, uh, where all the, a lot of the guys, pretty much everyone else, I think started on the, uh, on the softer compound. Um, but it ended up working out really well for him strategically. And another, so uh, Weber went from third to eighth in all that and almost got caught up in the was it uh, middle eighth? of stuff. Man. Yeah, uh, Button, who was in thirteenth, was caught up in it. Ended up getting tagged. Um, ended up getting tagged in the rear. His rear wing was damaged. Uh, and then, as he was going down the straight, uh, I think a chunk of Alguersuari's car or something came yep. off. And messed up his front wing. So uh, Jensen Button also had a stop. And took out his mirror as well, which took is kind of scary said, as the yeah, driver. I mean, that's bit, right yeah. by your face and everything. Yeah. And then, and then just a few laps in, then Weber takes a pit stop, um, and which sort of is like, okay, wow, there's something, you know, these guys are really hard yeah, on these tires. Yeah, five, absolutely. If, uh, and so which then put him back down into like, you know, 15th or something. I mean, it was just after taking the pit. So. And it was only a lap later that Vettel himself came in uh, from the lead. He had gotten around Rosberg at mm-hmm. that point. Um, from the lead, he also pitted, and we learned after the race that uh, both Vettel and Weber were quite hard on, our, hard on those tires in Q3, and that was part of the reason why they had to get rid of those softs pretty early. Yeah, they actually they, they had all the teams had requested that they could get new tires. Sort of once they saw that the race was going to be dry, and that you know Q3, they everyone did run uh, soft tires, run slicks in in Q3, and it was sort of right on the on the borderline of could enters work or could we use slicks? And everyone chose for slicks, which turned out to be the right call. And, uh, but then they asked, okay, now that we see it's going to be a dry race, you know, can we get new tires for the race? And it was like, nope, you got to start on which qualified on. 
And, uh, and so, the, so that – Which know, is good, which is fair. I mean that's the kind of decision you want because that is the rules. You start on what you qualify on, and if you worked your tires hard to qualify on pole, then good. That's, yeah. what, that's part of the consequence of that. So as part of with, – with Vettel's pit and all that, I mean that moved Hamilton up. Um, and at, at one stage, uh, Hamilton was leading the race and, uh, and you know, doing, doing very well. Um, that was like round lap 8, 9, 10. And, uh, and then ended up taking a pit stop. And then after coming out from that, um, ended up by Kamui Kobayashi. And we have the second uh, Hamilton incident to talk about. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. – I don't know how trouble finds him or he finds trouble or whatever, but uh, – I really think – well, so first of all, what happened was Lewis Hamilton came up behind and took advantage of Durs to pass Kamui Kobayashi. He was inside of Kamui Kobayashi – and began to kind of swing back outside just a little bit by keeping the wheel straight to get a more proper line into the corner, not realizing that Kamui had kind of slipstream Hamilton after the pass a little bit and was trying to kind of match Hamilton around the outside. Um, they ended up uh, touching wheels, uh, and Kamui's front hit Hamilton's rear pretty hard, and... Uh, spiked Hamilton into the wall and actually stunned. The, he was he was a little bit stunned when it happened. Took Hamilton right out of the race. Yeah, just no no way around it. Uh, just yeah, spun the car around into a barrier right through one of the big sponsor signs right there, and yes. uh, just just the came Allianz to a rest. Side. And it was yeah, it, it was a like you said, Hamilton sort of just kind of stunned for a little bit. Just didn't say anything and barely moved. Like I think he, you know he took his hands off the wheel once he saw the thing was spinning around or whatever. And in the interviews uh, that they caught up with him. Uh, sort of said, yeah, I just, you know, I, I, I remember I, mean, I passed a guy. I don't remember who it was. And then I remember being in the wall. Like, it was just kind of all happened so quickly for him, that, uh, which is kind of crazy. That's not usually, you know, no. that's, that's not usually what we get out of Hamilton. My personal opinion is that Hamilton got hosed. I, I, okay, so first of all, Eddie Jordan's crazy. Okay, I want to get that out of because that was ridiculous. What Eddie Jordan was saying to Martin Whitmarsh on the BBC coverage, which is actually what we watched this time around. Um, but regardless of that, Kamui Kobayashi got past and then was attempting to make another pass on the outside, but he was not—he was close, but he was not lo- alongside Hamilton ever. And I don't—I don't think I, the fact that they called it a racing incident, I think, is ultimately okay. But I don't think it's fair for anyone to blame Hamilton for the accident. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how I put it. So I really think, genuinely, that Hamilton just had a very unlucky weekend. Yeah. Um, well, not very unlucky, but certainly a weekend filled with incidents that, unlike Monaco, uh, really, I, it would be, I feel, would be a huge stretch to put a lot of blame on him for. Yeah. I, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And... Uh, I think the so the case was I think you you make the case right it's uh you know Hamilton passes Kobayashi so he's responsible for sort of you know he's the guy making the pass he's putting himself out there and it's up to him to sort of make sure that that sticks and that that works and that he doesn't just run into the guy in front of him um but then it be sort of then once he's in front it becomes Kobayashi trying to to do the overtake and so then it's up to him to not just drive into the car in front of him or you know it, it, so you know, it's sort of debatable, I guess, and I guess that's what they decided as a racing incident. It was a bit of both of theirs that, you know, was should Hamilton have been watching his left side mirror more closely to see where Kobayashi was rather than looking forward into the right where their track goes and where the corner is and where setting himself up for 
you know, just continuing on with his race, figuring I've dispensed with that car and I'm moving forward now in the race. Um, or is it, you know, should Kobayashi have backed off saying like, hey, I, you know, I haven't really made this pass stick. Maybe Hamilton's going to come out here to follow more of the driving line or just kind of, you know, continue to go straight as the road curves around or whatever. So I, I think, yeah, it's, it, I think it's fair to not penalize either one. Um, but, I mean, it's certainly unfortunate because Kobayashi was able to continue um, and uh, and Hamilton, you know, was not. Yeah, so, uh, Hamilton was not. And to go back to uh, what uh, I mentioned earlier, uh, Eddie Jordan was taking Martin Whitmarsh to task, saying clearly Kamui Kobayashi was alongside uh, Lewis and that Lewis wasn't paying attention and this was Lewis's fault, stuff like that. I, I don't know where he was coming from. And I, I, I give respect to uh, Martin Whitmarsh, who's also pretty dreamy, that, you know, for him to be fairly dipl- diplomatic about the whole thing. But poor Eddie, it's, it's like, that's kind of bonkers what you're saying in my mind, at least. It's like, what are you talking about? And why won't you let it go? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, Eddie Jordan has that, uh, that way about him. I found just from the, the few, times, few times a year that we watch BBC coverage um, where he'll get something into his mind and like you say, just not let it go. And I think there's sort of a broadcasting, like sort of understanding. If you, even if you're interviewing someone and you really want to push them on something, I mean, this isn't, uh, this isn't an interrogation. This isn't any kind of deep investigation. This is just kind of like, this isn't a political candidate either. Right. And I feel like you should be, you should also respect the fact that this guy um, is, you know, he's a part of this team and he doesn't like, you know, he doesn't have to talk to you. You know, it's like, of course he wants publicity and that's, you know, part of the whole marketing and the whole sport, but that you should sort of appreciate, you know, his the, the effort that he's putting out and the time he's spending to to just you know talk to you and your viewers. But I feel like Eddie Jordan, yeah, will get a, a point in his mind that he just wants to make and just won't. You know, a lot of people will say, oh well, then, you know, maybe we disagree on that. But anyway, moving along, blah blah blah, just like not really stick along on that point, and he just he just won't do that. And I guess at some point, maybe um, he feels like that's his role, right, to have somebody to. Uh, not just have everyone agree all the time with whoever they're interviewing. It's like, oh, I want to take him to task and, uh, and, you know, have some differing opinion. And maybe that's what in his mind, what sort of makes this interesting or, uh, you know, where he adds value mm, to the whole coverage. Mm, no, but nope. <laughs> I think in general, people don't, don't quite agree with that. And uh, he comes up with every once in a while. He's got, you know, intelligent if, I mean, things if his say, point's but, legit, right. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's more great, but it's not like Martin Whitmarsh was saying, uh, Kamui Kobayashi should be kicked out of the sport, and this is unsafe, and I can't believe Formula One would allow this or anything like that. Yeah. Martin Whitmarsh was saying, I think, I think what Lewis Hamilton was doing was okay, and if you want me to blame, you know, put blame on someone, I would blame the other driver. And he even said, but of course I would because I were, you know, maybe I'm biased because I'm this guy's boss. So yeah, you know, exactly. Like, as, as transparent and as professional as you could be, I think. So there's taking someone to task when it merits taking someone to task. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, like for Yarno, truly, get off my lawn! Like you know, that's really, like <laughs> seriously, Yarno, really, was it so bad that you had to you know go on a tyrant that kind of thing? It was yeah against uh, what Sutil in Brazil yes. 09, I think <laughs> he came up with like drawings and photos and arrows and like he was here and he should have been there and this was wrong and. That's wrong. Yeah. So, your boy. Jensen, My boy. Jensen Button. Doing it like he do, baby. So, he gets, he gets hit in the beginning. He's got, a, he's got a new nose. He's got to come in and get replaced. He's got a broken, like, part of his rear wing is broken. One of his mirrors is gone. Down in 19th. He can't, he can't race possibly all that. Make, any, make any lemonade out of that, right? Wrong, sir. Wrong. He makes lots of lemonade. Long story short, Jensen Button's leading the race... Uh, midway through the midway through it, because 
the magic he has with keeping tires on, he stayed on the same set of soft tires for a solid, what, 20 laps or something, and just passed one guy after another, after another, after another, just chopping them up like broccoli, okay? Or celery. I mean, celery is sh- even more choppable. Schumacher and, kept him for like a few laps, but yeah. then you get around him and just, and I'm mean, just looking at the lap chart, it's like every lap, or, you know, every, every lap or, or maybe two laps, just moving up a notch, moving up a notch, moving up a notch. Yep. And, uh, yeah, like you say, to end up in, in first spot when the, as the pit stops rotated, rotated, then, you know, he had to take his pit stop to go on his, on his, on his last stop and he went down to fourth and, uh, and then was, was there for a while and then ended up finally, uh, you know, getting around, uh, Alonzo once again. Yeah. Getting around Alonzo and ending up to, uh, you know, to, to come on the podium. I mean, it was quite a, quite a show at the end of it and quite a performance from button. Absolutely. Yeah. So he was able to get around everybody. Except for um, the Red Bulls. Except for the Red Bulls on pure passes on the track. Then Weber pitted, and then Vettel pitted after that. That cleared the way for Button. The problem was, is that uh, Vettel was far enough ahead that um, after his pit stops, he got out just behind Button. So and gaining. So it was, uh, you know, it was clear that. Because at one point they were talking about Button could stay on these tires for t- until the end and maybe win this race. And was like, uh, that'd be sweet if that was the case, but I don't know. But one thing that I think really stood out, that something that was pretty common, at least among the front-running drivers, was blistering tires. Mm-hmm. You'd see them on the inside rings of the fronts, and every once in a while they see them a little bit on the rears as well. And how much that really affected the performance of the tire is a little bit debatable. It certainly isn't optimal. Um, but Jensen's but- Jensen Button's tires never were blistered. Yeah. He just has that magic of being nearly as quick as the quickest guy and being like 30% easier on the car. Yeah, and we saw that on the Ferrari. We saw that on the Red Bulls. Um, you know, and, and I guess Hamilton's car, we didn't quite have a chance. We, saw, we, no, we, no, we, we did see that a little <laughs> Poor bit. Poor Hamilton. Uh, and, then, and then it all went wrong for him. But, yeah, it was uh, just sort of, I guess, classic Weber, would you say? I mean, to take a situation where, I mean. Classic <laughs> button, I yeah, hope you're being. <laughs> yes, classic button to. It was uh, classic Weber to finish behind Vettel. Well, I mean, <laughs> no, that just... was too, yeah. But I mean, I guess, and unfortunately, to qualify poorly because it's not usually his strong suit. But then to just make the most of it, put his head down, as it were. Ah, uh, yes. Make a bunch of passes, be be easy on his tires, and uh, end up, you know, collecting the points. And uh, and the point was brought up too. It sort of seems like hot and cold with McLaren, where if one guy does well, it seems like the other guy just doesn't. Um, and we've sort of we haven't haven't had a good double result for them in a while. That's true, but again, it does kind of go to my point where. You know, it could have very easily been a bad day for McLaren full stop because Button was in 13th because of the way qualifying went, and then Hamilton was crashed out because of what he went. But, you know, Button was able to just, you know, strategically, you know, work his way up to the front, and just everything was working really well for him. And there's been times, you know, Button's two DNFs where Hamilton, just by sheer grit, you know, makes something happen for McLaren. So, you could have a glass half empty approach, which is oh, it's you know they can't have two strong candidates, or you can have a glass half full approach, which is what I do because I'm a happier person, and say they were able to make lemonade out of the situation. They they McLaren never has a fully bad day because their drivers find a way to make it happen. Yeah, and <laughs> and that's one way to and I have rebut. yeah, I mean yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm all for that. Yeah, okay, and and Schumacher, I mean. Dude started dead last, 24th, and ended up coming 5th. Dude, 20th anniversary of the debut. This boy was not going to be denied, even 
even past Rosberg towards yeah. the end of the race. And it Fifth was, place, 16 positions forward. I mean, that's, you know, Button coming through and making some passes and, and did very well. I don't mean to take anything away from that. But, but Schumacher's performance to, uh, to just, I mean, talk about, I don't know what it is, being able to set the car up how he wanted to because, hey, I'm dead last. Got to rebuild the car anyway. Might as well. Uh, you know, just set it up. I don't know if they had any more knowledge than the rest of the field at that point to say, oh, we know it's going to be dry, so blah, blah, blah. But dude just made it happen. I mean, you, yeah. you, you've got to say. Schumacher is every bit as strong at starts as Weber is at, is weak at them. So we all we re-expected that from him. We also knew that since he was going to be at the very bottom of the grid, we could expect even more than that. But then once you start getting into that ninth, you know, tenth, ninth place Area that's like okay, Schumacher, that's kind of your spot these days. Mm-hmm. But he just kept going this time, and even when he was passed by Button, it was like okay, well, Schumacher's not moving it forward any further. No, he kept moving forward as well. And Schumacher also displayed just good strategy and not overusing tires and things like that. And you know, was able and you know, towards the end of the race, uh, you know, he was not being able to find. He wasn't finding a way around Rosberg right away. He caught him fairly quickly. We couldn't find a way around two or three laps. He just kept working methodically and found a way past him in a very safe, respectful way. Got around his teammate, no drama, and uh, finished fifth. I think it was a great performance. I think Mercedes should be pretty darn happy with the weekend's results. You know, they had they had a they had a guy in the top five. They had Rosberg qualify fifth, which tends to be Rosberg's strong suit. Mm-hmm. But unlike Rosberg, usually he had a blister start, led the race, was very defensive, and held off the faster front-running cars. And at first, you and I both kind of comment, oh, boy, here goes Rosberg sliding back into the midfield oblivion again after his first pit stop and stuff like that. But he kind of held on and kept pushing and moved the way up. So it wasn't just that Schumacher finished fifth, which is brilliant, but Rosberg also did finish sixth. So that's double solid points for Mercedes. That's going to be the kind of thing that keeps them ahead of the Renaults and Force Indias of the world. You know, and hopefully, if they can be a little bit more consistent with that kind of stuff, maybe they can move up a little bit. Yeah, it's just funny, you know, seeing Rosberg leading the race and not, you know, the first place your mind goes is not, oh, maybe they can win. It's just like, it's, I wonder how many laps until the Red Bulls How long can they hold it off? You know, it's, which is unfortunate, but I just think that's the reality of it. And was the reality again today that, uh, like, yes, there, there is, there are these, these moments of really good performance, but it's just on the whole, the you know the Red Bulls and you know it seems like you know Ferrari McLaren probably as well just kind of you know have their number on on actual race pace uh, and and I just, you know mentioning the Ferraris too the other thing uh, was you know so Massa you know yeah qualified a little bit better I think probably had more to do with just kind of when he happened to be on track and the traffic and all that than potentially raw pace of, of Alonso untrue clearly more Formula One drivers listened to the F1 show than we thought and they know they had to raise their game Massa being one of them. Schumacher being another one because he was realizing, wow, I don't, I don't get around Rosberg as often as I should. Yeah. And, uh, you know, things like that. Okay. So fair enough. Um, but there were a couple moments where there was this, uh, this mid pack, uh, what, like fifth through about eighth and ninth, you know, running all, all close together, uh, where, you know, this is when Button's moving up through the field, is when Schumacher's moving up through the field. And, and Massa just would lose out just like position after position, just kind of not being quite as cunning as these other guys and just, you know, leaving little bits of openings where all these other guys were just taking advantage. I mean, he was, you know, Massa had a, a respectable start, you know, and cycled through the pit stops and all that. He was running fourth. And at one point was battling reasonably well against Alonso. Yeah. And then it just, 
you know, lost his spot to Rosberg and then fell back through um, to, to Button, who's charging up through the field, and then fell back again and again, just kind of losing position after position, and uh, and ended up, ended up finishing... Eighth. He ended up eighth. Yeah. Collecting four points. Not stunning. Not terrible. But, uh, yeah, I you know, clearly... Unfortunately, Moss's best days, I believe, in a Formula One car are behind him. Yeah, it just, you know, the opposite of buttons, just sort of moving up and moving up gradually. It was just the opposite. I mean, someone's got to be given away with his positions. I will say for Mazda, he did pass Petrov on the last lap, and it's always cool to have that, you know, last lap, last chance kind of pass to uh, to get a little bit better finishing result. But, you know, yeah, just, just kind of slid back there. I mean, Alonso was really making more out of the car um, and, and doing more what he could and ended up, you know, almost with a podium and ended up fourth. At the end of the day, so uh, just a much stronger performance in terms of Ferraris for Alonso. Although it has to be said that Alonso's performance, while much stronger, was least strong at the most critical time. He ended up pitting a little bit on the early side and going for mediums instead of the softs. And uh, the Ferrari just was not competitive on that tire. So it ended up being a fairly easy pass for Button once Bunsen... First, it was easy for Button to catch Alonzo with, you know, three or four laps to go and ended up passing uh, Alonzo with three laps to go or whatever it was. Yeah. And so it was a little bit disappointing for – because there was kind of this, like, you know, Vettel was in the lead but not necessarily guaranteed the victory because, you know, these other guys were working strongly. And certainly Weber's second place wasn't guaranteed with Alonzo uh, and around and early on Hamilton as well. So – uh, you know, it was a shame to see the Ferrari be a bit weak on that slower tire towards the end. But like you said, fourth place is still solid. It's 12 points uh, moving up. Due to um, Hamilton's misfortune, uh, there was a shakeup in the points. Uh, Alonso w- uh, moved up to third and Button moved up to fourth, I believe. It could be that's Button's third. I don't have it in front of me. Because um, they were all right there. Uh, you know, the battle for second in the championship very is very, tight. very close. And, yeah, so for Hamilton, that's very disappointing to So in to that second through zero. Yeah, that second through fifth championship battle, it's all very tight. Yeah. So whenever there's a dropout, when Hamilton loses, there's going to be a shakeup. So, of course, it's still Vettel in first. Then it's Mark Webber with 167 points in second. Ten points back to Alonso. Um, then uh, eight points back to Button. And then another three points behind him for Hamilton. So you remember Button was sort of the odd man out before, but now with this result, that moves him up ahead of Hamilton. And then uh, what another, you know, uh, man, what is that, 80 points or something back is, is Felipe Massa. I mean, it's really second through fifth is really the, yeah, the interesting part you, right You've now. got the championship leader, the second through the fifth, with, you know, assuming grave misfortune for Vettel, chances for the championship. And then... At that point, you've got the well. The, then you've got Massa, the and then the you've got everyone else. Yeah, like, exactly. Massa's like good, good car, but not right. Exactly. Not quite up to the drive, and then it's down to the Mercedes, Renaults, you know, so the rest of them. We haven't even mentioned his name, but I mean, Vettel put in a great result, and it's to the point where if Vettel wins the race, we're going to talk about how good everyone else did. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like we didn't, we haven't even mentioned him yet because. Even though there was kind of a mix-up, especially early on with Hamilton and Alonso being as strong as they were, and Weber, you know, starting to catch up from his misfortune at the beginning of the race, that you know there was there's real chances of Hamilton maybe winning the race. Alonso could challenge for the win, and um, but Vettel just he had his he had his strategy. He was consistent. He was quick, 
Um, he actually passed a person or two. So uh, he's he's gonna be world champion. I, I I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean that it's he I mean, he just he won. There's <laughs> so much talk about so many articles on Autosport, so many conversations on our Facebook page about well, you know, what's it gonna be like when it comes back because. They came off the back of, you know, a bunch of non-Vettel wins. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, you know, and it's Spa, which isn't, you know, going to be naturally uh, um, going towards the Red Bull's strengths, so on and so forth. So who, you know, is this really the beginning of a new championship run for somebody else, you know, to challenge? No. (laughs) No. Nope. Vettel was on pole. Vettel won the race. And, you know, his sidekick, Mark Webber, was in second. Another Red Bull 1-2. And they said, oh, this has been the first 1-2 for Red Bull in a long time. A long time. It was like five races Since ago. Since earlier this year. Yeah. yeah. So I just – I think the fact that we talk about Red Bull and Vettel so little and the fact that it's so inconsequential for us, to me, is a way of showing massive respect to Vettel. Yeah, it's it's Schumacher and Ferrari from early 2000s, right? It's like, yeah. oh, F1's on. Oh, is Schumacher winning? Yeah. Right. You know, it's just, oh, well, what else is happening? Where's the interesting part? Because, well, of course, it's going to be Vettel out front. You right. Know? And, and like you said, I mean, it was a few passes early on, but then, you know, about halfway through the race, I mean, the only reason he cycled back was because of pit stops, but ultimately had the lead. Um, there is some, uh, you know, I, the, the, the thought, I guess Alonzo put this forward, that, you know, the safety car period helped him out because if it weren't for that, he may not have been able to save the tires as much as he wanted to, and he may have had to pit again, or there may have been something, but Absolutely, they that's made true. it work. You know, the but, safety car came out, they pitted, they took advantage of the situation, they right. made it happen. And there were also gaps that tightened up because of it and everything else. I mean, it, it wasn't a guaranteed help for Vettel. Right. Vettel took advantage of it, but I don't think that, you know what I mean? Like, this wasn't a Nelson Piquet Jr., you know, yeah. safety car period. This was this was not a Flavio organized situation. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, I, I think my point is is that it when you when it looks so easy, that really is a testament to how completely dominant Vettel still can be for the rest of the season. It's not a situation like two thousand nine where Braun GP. Got a got a trick in the rules, and really took advantage of it, and came out with something brilliant that stunned everybody, and mm-hmm. it took him half a season to catch up. This is, I mean, this is a strong, strong car. Yeah. So, and 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 not even just that, because if it were a strong car and you had two Webers, you know, it, we'd have a very tight championship coming up. But Vettel has dominated. This is his seventh win this season. Yeah, and then still. Um, no, no car has outqualified a Red Bull the entire year. Right. You know, either Vettel or Weber. Uh, and like I say, with a one-two, I mean, it's just that's that's the best the team can possibly do, and and they've done it. Uh, you know, and it's it's just Vettel just still continuing to run away with it. But I think as uh, you know, kind of on the whole, um, as as we talked about, you know, just during during the race, it's just what a difference this track can make. I mean, I could even if there weren't if there were half the passes that we actually had today. I mean, every time two cars were even just close to each other going through our rouge, just kind of who's going to back out? Is it going to be, you know, because no one can run side by side through there, um, at least not successfully, right? So it's this, you know, just the whole track, just the look of it, the feel of it. Oh, yeah. All the elevation change. 
some some corners that are really challenging on their own, you know, without actually having traffic, and then you put in with a bunch uh, of slightly Frenchy kind of sounding names that I don't remember. Yeah, but all great corners. I mean, the Eau Rouge into the straight, and then that corner's wicked quick. It's still like 120 mile an hour corner, and just so many fast flowing long corners and just real serious breaking zones where you really could have a couple of different lines and a couple of different interpretations of how to get around the track and then just the the rain possibility and then all the the forest it's beautiful i mean it is it is a wonderful place yeah and you just you just can't imagine i mean with a race like valencia at the other end of it there's just no sort of inspiration to it you know i mean certainly a lot of people thought about it a lot but it's just not anywhere near the same kind of deal. I mean, you see especially these helicopter shots, and there's the track where it actually goes pretty close to itself, where it kind of almost doubles back around. I mean, the shape of the track means they're never too far away from another part of the racetrack. Um, but just the huge difference in elevation, how they'll go around a whole, a whole complex and drop down, you know, 300 feet or whatever, and then, yeah. and then be at a whole different sort of level of the forest. And it's, it's just great. And, uh, and it just lends itself to both, you know, when you get it right, it's magical, and it can go pretty wrong, and obviously did for several drivers, both in qualifying and in the race. And that just mixes things up and makes it interesting. And so, even though we, you know, we didn't have any raindrops falling in the race, it still ended up being a very just dramatic and uh, and you know there were there were incidents, but even just without that, there were just you know good racing, good passing, different strategies, and it all it all just came together, and it was just you know a, a proper proper Grand Prix, I'll say. Completely agree. Which is why, and this is a little bit uh, off the cuff, but I want to say it. I think it would be brilliant if Formula One could come to a place like Road America, where Road America is a four-mile-long track. It's in the woods. There's a lot of natural elevation change. It's, if you have a lot of horsepower, extremely exciting. Very, very cool. It's a shame because Formula One has just this standard of, like, opulence and... And, you know, the pits need to be a certain way and grandstands and all this kind of stuff. I mean, Elkhart just, Lake, Wisconsin isn't swanky enough for Elkhart F1? Elkhart Lake is plenty swanky, but Road America isn't, isn't a $300 million facility. Oh. It's a $30 million facility, right? So, uh, but if you went racetrack to racetrack, Road America, in my opinion, is probably the greatest track in the country. And uh, I would love, love to see Formula One car go around there. For all the reasons you just said... About Spa, Formula One, in my opinion, I mean, Road America, in my opinion, has very similar traits. Yeah. I've only driven it in video games. I know you've driven it in real life and in video games, but... <laughs> and I've, I've had, I mean, I've had, you know, some of my best races have been there. Yeah. Some of my best results. And it's pretty magical in a video game, so I can only imagine in real life, <laughs> uh, when you get it right, how satisfying it must well, be. Well, I mean, and how we've seen Champ Cars there, we've seen ALMS there, we've seen Grand Am there, we've been, seen Speed World Challenge there. Yep. And those are great races. And I know, totally... Totally besides the point, ultimately, but I just had to say it because you're talking about it, and it, just, it brought back my own personal memories of Road America. Nice. They yeah. should just give them some nice Frenchy names to, uh, for the various corners. <laughs> like turn un, turn deux, turn trois? No? Yeah. Uh, okay. No, that's good. Did, did I ruin it? Now, how many French lessons did you actually take, you know, and you can count to three? I, <laughs> I could count beyond three. Oh, okay. Yeah, but not right now. Okay. Well, fair <laughs> enough. All right, so... Um, our fans have actually had a lot to say yes. since our last uh, since our last episode. But before we get that, did you know that one of the numbers in French is a cat? Yes, that's weird. Not not really. No. it's spelled different. So then, then listener feedback. Then I think it's time for that. Okay. Yes, and of course, it is our favorite part of the show. As always, it is listener feedback, 
And the reason why it's his favorite part of the show is because you guys are amazing. And uh, we had a couple of comments uh, about our mid-season update. We had one last week. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that show because you were like, oh, it wasn't an F1 race, so there was no show. Wrong. There was a show. And we went to team by team and discussed the uh, merits of the teammates and the teammates' teammate. Yep. Uh, how, how they qualified, how they raced, and just kind of summing up what, what's, what's going on so far this season. Objective insights, subjective opinions. It was very brilliant. Anyway, we had two comments about the show. And uh, so I want to give a shout out to uh, Deb and uh, Craig the Kilt Wilson. And I do believe. Wait, what's his name? His name is uh, Craig. 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 And uh, I, I do believe it's unfortunate. Uh, he does not seem to know how to spell his name. It is K-E-R-K-R-E-G. <laughs> Clearly, we've got his handle. <laughs> anyway. Well, so, apparently, well, apparently our Scottish accent is terrible, which I think, I, I, yes. I would, I would agree with that, yes. Um, <laughs> and, and we don't know how to say Craig uh, correctly in English or Scottish English or anything. So, But we do know how to say it in American. We're just not going to even try. We can say it in American, you know and it's Craig. There you go. Anyway, uh, Deb said, hey, really enjoy this one, guys, and thanks for not bagging on Mark Webber too much. But I do agree that the deck is pretty much stacked against him this year. I still hold hope that Mark comes back fighting after the break, but he's going to have to work twice as hard to be in with a chance. Just hope he still has the desire. Aussies can be laid back to the point of apathy. I want to see him fire up, get angry, and even a little mean. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Have I, I mentioned lately, Australia is just a beautiful country. Oh, it's lovely. Lovely well, place. By Except the way, I don't like it uh, because of something I said that you took out of context. By the way... Daniel Ricardo had a had a DNF this weekend. It was oh. disappointing, and he actually did qualify last. Except Schumacher kind of started behind him because of that whole thing. So yeah, just let's let's just write this on off for Ricardo. But of course, Weber did well to um, you know to, to come second place. That's and the, the Aussie report. And Craig, uh, as our official um, kilt uh, reporter, kilt reporter uh, gave us three points of discussion. Uh, he he wants a forum, Jim. He he's sick of this Facebook crap, utter crap, or it utter crap. Crap. Oh, don't oh, try that oh, again. Yeah, I should oh, probably stop, stop, Robin. Yeah, that's bad. Don't, don't do it. Yeah, it, it is. It is tough with Facebook. I mean, we've looked at you know, you know, Google Plus, which has kind of gained some traction, but not really. But that's a little bit better for a conversation, maybe. But uh, yeah, it, it is with over a thousand people on the Facebook page. It does tend to get a little bit unruly. So we're looking into some options there, um, and uh, you know, we'll. We'll let you know, of course, as these things progress. A lot of times those are off-season developments just because of the, uh, the, the schedules nature, that we yeah. have uh, of, of keeping things going. And it is tough because Facebook isn't great. If, we have a, if you have a good discussion that a lot of people want to comment on, unfortunately, anytime anyone, something new comes up, it gets pushed down the list. But at the same time, what's so nice about Facebook is so many people – or on Facebook anyway. It's really quick. It's really convenient. Yeah, you it's get this, this power of discovery, this serendipity where people that wouldn't normally take part in the discussion, they see something or they wouldn't seek out a forum, will come across something, and if they have an opinion on it, let that, let that be known. And that gets, I think, potentially more voices involved. But I and think it's part, we're partly a victim of our own success here because, because it's such a great community and you know, a great number of people like taking a look and commenting and interacting. That's what makes some good discussions push down fairly quickly. Yes. So, but we, we do appreciate the feedback, and we will. Uh, you know, we've looked into that option, and I think it may be maybe time to pursue that. But uh, I don't have any any updates for you on that quite yet. Okay. Point two, uh, we have a request for business cards. 
Yeah, which you know I think makes sense, right? If someone's if if someone's an F one show fan, um, of course when you and so I, would it be a business card that says F one show fan? No, it wouldn't be to promote the fan. It would just be to promote the show. Like hey, oh, it's like I thought it was like. like my name is Craig, and I am an F1 show fan. Here's well, my card. Well, Craig would be one of the few people that would, that would deserve one. <laughs> That's true. Who could be like, I'm and the official kilt reporter for F1 show. Yeah, exactly. Fair but, enough. But no, you know, just to, uh, you know, like, like the car clubs and stuff have where it's just like, hey, this is something you might want to know about. And here's rather than me, you know, coming up with some piece of paper to write it down on you from or sending you an email on the spot or something that's sort of time intensive. If it's just like, hey, hand him this thing and go check out that, that, that show. Um, yeah, that's not a bad idea. That uh, and there's, he's got this this banner, um, and apparently the Hornets have a banner, and apparently that's worked really well for them. And we're still not quite sure of the mechanics of how exactly that would happen. Yes, but uh, because we're talking about ah banner, right? Right, and I think it's something that goes around that gets signed by a bunch of people, and then I don't. I guess does it come back to our headquarters at some point, or is it always I, floating I, around in I, the world? I, I don't know. And there is an excellent discussion for our listeners to educate us on what a banner could do. And uh, what I will say about these both these points in general. My lovely wife being the graphic designer and doing our logo, among other things, um, you know, if this seems like a reasonable idea, maybe we should uh, have – maybe I can contact her about such things. You can schedule a meeting. I, I can. Maybe I can get penciled in for a 15-minute – If you've got any yacht stuff coming up, you could, you could <laughs> work that in. And uh, Craig makes a third point as well, but uh, we're going to leave that one to people that want to go to the website and check it out. Uh, and Facebook, as always, as we just discussed, has been very lively. And uh, what was great about Facebook was um, me having, I guess, the, the side benefit to me being bored at work often is that I had time to post a bunch of videos on Facebook. So uh, we were able to kind of look at some interesting things during the off break. We had drifting on there. We had uh, Ken Vlock's Jim Conna 4 on there, which was a bit Hollywood and a bit weird. And just a bunch of other old F1 things and uh, David Coulthard making fun of Juan Pablo Montoya and uh, all kinds of neat things. So um, thanks to the people that stayed active on the page while we were gone and uh, thanks to the people that weren't me that also contributed great contributed greatly to the page and kept it active and interesting to look at. Because it was really, it was, a, it was so nice to have something Formula One related to go to that was being updated by lots of people and keep you know kept interesting yeah and also i want to mention uh cam mcgrath on twitter um who wanted wants to us to point out that uh, weber passing alonjo around the outside in our rouge was epic yes yes and uh brilliant drive by schumacher to salvage p5 and great passing and podium from button which i think we talked about pretty well yes and a great strategic drive from weber to recover to p2 so there you go um to be a part of all this feedback no 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 Oh I want to do it. Goodness. I want to do it. You've... I want to do it, and I'm going to do it. If you would like to be part of this conversation, you should go to the F1 Show website. It's the F1Show.com. That's where everything is. You have access to uh, the podcast itself, to Facebook, to Twitter. Um, our email is there, but if you can't be bothered, our email is feedback at F1Show.com. And I'm not even going to spell it out this time because Jim rolls his eyes every time I do. Look, I did it. I did it. I did it correctly, I think. Yes. Strictly Yay speaking, me. it's F1Show.com, although the F1Show.com also does Did work. I say the F1Show.com? You sure did. Dang it. No, but that works, so it's okay. So that'll get you there. And we just want to mention, you can find us on iTunes, of course, in the uh, iTunes podcast directory. You can't. It's not just iTunes anymore. But it's never been just iTunes. Well, but that's also, true. we have a link to the podcast feed on there as well. So if you don't like iTunes for whatever reason, then you can subscribe to us directly there. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. And to the many, many thousands of people that are loyal podcast pickle podcast viewers, we are now also listed there. 
your favorite podcast pickle podcast. It's like a podcast directory. It's called <laughs> Podcast Pickle. Because the name Pickle added to podcast is way better than just podcast. Plus, podcast.com was already taken. So there you have it. So there you have it. Trivia. 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 Okay, and of course, now it's time for trivia. That's what that music means, of course. It's a lovely song, by the way. And today's trivia question is, why isn't there a trivia question? That's a one-parter. Yes. <laughs> uh, we don't have a trivia question, and that is okay. We are okay with that, and we're going to move forward. But we will say that if you would like a trivia question, if you say, hey, I, I, I kind of like those trivia questions. I want to I wanna possibly win a Coke. Well, then what I would highly recommend is to tell you and your friends to uh, contact the F1 show with a trivia question. And if it's sweet, we may just well, very well, well, say it on the show. And that is pretty much like being famous because you can play that for people and they'll be like, this is them talking about me and talking about my question and look how smart I am. And that is really the, the real prize. Here. We are prestigious and we are worldwide. So you could possibly say that you're prestige worldwide. Yes. All right, so it's time for predictions, and I think I really did brilliantly this time, and I just can't wait to look through the numbers and see if that actually pans out. Well, it was four weeks ago, but I know you have the memory of an elephant, so why don't you tell us what you predicted? I do not remember because I have the memory of a, of a shoebox. <laughs> oh, shoeboxes actually do a good job of holding on to things for people. It so is I'm okay say... because, believe it or not, I had the foresight to write it down. Oh, good. Thank you. And you, sir, you, sir, were bold, and unlike said, usual, Yeah. and you said, you know what? I'm buying in. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid of this whole Red Bull dominance is over thing. Yeah. Lewis Hamilton's going to be on pole. Yeah. And Lewis Hamilton's going to win the race. Oh, and how that – oh, wait. Oh, dear. That's bad. Mm. That's not good. I had a good run, though. I was ahead of you for, for a couple of times there. You had a couple of calls. A that solid half the well. season, absolutely. And this time it all fell apart for me. So uh, was, was Lewis Hamilton on pole? No. No. Mm, but no. not that far off. Oh, yeah. How are you doing the race again? So the race is that's, – that's where it kind of went, <laughs> went wrong for me. Yeah, though. he was officially scored 22nd. So oh. you scored one point for being one point off. Well, strictly uh, speaking, it could have been worse. It, <laughs> yes, good. And 21 points for being – 21 points for uh, having him in uh, first. 22 points total this time around. I, on the other hand, said, you know, I don't buy into this. I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. I do think Red Bull is still going to be strong. And even if they don't win, they're going to be up there. Which is the safe but, like, weak, you know, weak sauce but kind of prediction to But it's also make. what I happen to believe was the case. Yeah, you should go back to predicting Alonzo because that was more fun. <laughs> that was way better for you. But just as it happens, I was completely right. I put Vettel on pole and Vettel to win the race. That's exactly what happened. So in this particular instance, I even beat the statistical model because the statistical model thought that Vettel was going to be on pole but that Jensen Button was going to win the race. And for a while, it looked like the, the statistical model was going to be hosed, but not the case because Button is so brilliant and made lemonade out of the lemons he was given. He ended up finishing third, uh, so only two points for the model because uh, it did correctly pick Vettel. So this being the case, we are coming up on Monza. Now – well. Real quick, so with that, so the statistical model, on, and we have, of course, the Facebook predictions page under the Facebook F1 show page. Thank you, prediction stud. Um, and we've got uh, 
so the stat model is still in the lead with 26 points because it has been such a consistent season. Well, you say still in the lead, but I think James Payne was in the lead ahead of the statistical model until just now. Oh, could have been. Yes. Um, James was, like, really rocking out. We're guessing there was a lot of Vettel Vettels in his prediction. Which would be correct because there's been a lot of Vettel Vettels in the results. Smart as it may be, yes. And when he's not there, he's darn near. So James Payne is second place now. You, Robin, are third with 50 points. Look at that jump, baby. Yeah, and then fourth is Bodhi Tuladar, fifth is Sean Scanlon, and me tied with 53 and 56 points. So just like in the, you know, there's like, there's, you know, Drivers' Championship, there's this like race for third, really, behind James Payne um, with between 50 and 58 points is, uh, you know, five of us in there. So down, you know, and then Ken Frischneck with uh, 58 points right behind me. So uh, and also uh, I want to mention you know Ben Hessenthaler in eighth place, Craig Wilson in sixty in, in sixty sixth in ninth place, and Daniel Jacobson in tenth. So uh, it did shake it up a little bit I think this time. I think there are a lot of people were um, thinking Hamilton would do well, and of course he did not, and that uh, that messed some people up, including me. Yes, and I mean it was one of those races where it's tough because you did have three races in a row where Vettel didn't win. You did have um, strengths showing from McLaren and Ferrari. And you did have this four-week break where things, you know, you know, you kind of get out of the rhythm. So it's like, wow, something could really change here. So it was difficult. Um, but I have to say, my personal belief is Italy, Monza, which is my favorite track on the calendar. It is – it's just – there's something so raw about it. It's like – So simple. It's so simple, but it's just – Right. You it's know the I mean? anti-Valencia. It, it just is. It's just 160-mile-an-hour average speed laps on the gas for 20 seconds, slam on the brakes, back on the gas, you know, and then just a couple of ridiculous corners in the middle thrown in for a good marriage. And Parabolica that just goes on forever. That just, you know, they kind of come out and they're on the outside edge of the track going 140, 150, 160-mile-an-hour exit. Love that track. It is my favorite one on the calendar. And it's Italy. Italian food, oh, that's such, a, that's such a blessing for us. So, who's going to be on pole? Well, the statistical model thinks it's going to be Vettel Vettel, and this is what I'm getting at. I think this is the one track where Red Bull truly is at a disadvantage. This is where Vettel had his first win, and that was in this STR car, and that was a big deal, and that was like, wow, Vettel is amazing. And that was also pre-Adrian Newey coming up with the super bomb design that's been dominating. Yeah. So I think this is an opportunity for this the, for the model to be kind of wrong. And it's an opportunity for us to be smart enough to pick a McLaren or a or a or a Ferrari or a So pick one. No. Yes. You first. Okay. I think Vettel's still going to get pole position because he's ridiculous in a single well, single lap light fuel, but I think Alonso's going to come on and win the race. Well, I don't know why you don't pick Hamilton. Uh, you're going to put Vettel on pole, really? You're going to not put Vettel on pole? I'm really? definitely not going to put All Vettel right on then. pole. Well, Alonso to win the race, which in some sense is a little bit unfortunate because I'm kind, I'm kind of getting a Ferrari vibe here as well. It's, it's on, Italy. It's Ferrari. They're doing It's not going to be Massa. It's, you know. Yeah. And so here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. You're just stalling now, but okay. I want to put McLaren. That is kind of my gut feeling. I want to McL- put McLaren, and I'm tempted to put Button, and I haven't predicted. If only Button. you could average the McLarens, though. Say the best of the, the <laughs> exactly. best McLaren will but, be. But the McLarens were pretty slow in a straight line this time. 
at, at, they were McLarens, and it could have been just as simple that they put too much downforce, downforce on the back of the car. Could have been as simple as that. Think like a wet setup or something, yeah. Yeah, but the McLarens were slowest in a straight line, or among the slowest in the straight line of the top cars. So I'm, I'm a little bit conflicted. And I was actually I was very tempted to go Alonzo Alonzo here. And I've done that before. I was, I'm sorry, I was predicted to go button, button, but because of the slow uh, trap speed, I'm a little more uh, tempted to go Alonzo Alonzo here. It's a bit of a quandary. But you just threw something out like I dirty know, I, laundry. I thought about it in the 20 minutes that I had in the, in the your building up talking about this. <laughs> so I figured I might as well uh, go ahead and, and get it done. Well, then why don't I just throw it out there? Alonzo is going to be on pole and win the race. Except it's obviously going to be Vettel. So this is going to be the first time there's not a Red Bull on pole in 2011 is what you're saying. I, I think this is the one track where that's possible and even likely. Right, and then. I do think that, and I will say this as an unofficial unofficial bet, I do think Weber will be faster than Vettel. All right, then. I'll put a Coke on it. Oh. That's, Deal? That's what we usually... Shaking hands on already. it, buddy. All right. Well, that's been our prediction. If you haven't already, you should definitely go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash F1 show and make your prediction and see how you stack up against us and against the statistical model and that robot of a predictor, James Payne, because, (laughs) wow, that guy's ridiculous. Battle, 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 battle. That was my James Payne. That was amazing. If only the viewers were not listeners and were viewers (laughs) could have seen the beautiful robot dance. Battle, battle. Okay. My name is James Payne. There it goes again. Battle, battle. All right. <laughs> Clearly, it's time to end this episode. Oh, I've had a lot of sugar. It's uh, We've got a week off, and then it's Monza, uh, as we talked about. So uh, we're all looking forward to that, and you will hear from us again in two weeks. Until then, I'm Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner. See you next time. The F1 Show is brought to you by Jim Lau and Robin Warner. Definitely make sure to check out our super cool web store, warnermotorsports.com, for all the coolest apparel you can think of, including F1 Show shirts, F1 Show stickers, and other great, amazing things. The F1 Show logo is designed by Genueforma, a cutting-edge graphic design company. Check them out at genueforma.com. Today's intro music was Differences by Genuine. Thanks, as always, to Bio Bonsai for use of their song Inspector B for our main theme music. And finally, thank you to all of our listeners. You're the best. And Martin Whitmarsh is dreamy. Dreamy.